Well, hey, folks. Welcome. Well, here we are, the Not Necessarily Mad podcast with me, Eric Hollinsworth, and G.B. Meyer. So thanks for joining us. Today, G.B. and I take on the topic of what's so special about Patsy Cline. So let's get right to it. Well, hey, GB. Hey, Eric. How's it going, buddy? You know, it's 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 not too bad. You know, it's been uh, it almost felt like a normal weekend. I had uh, three gigs in two days. It was uh, oh, very nice. A little splash of normality. I played, uh, did a fill-in gig for a group on Friday. Uh huh. And then uh, Saturday afternoon, I did a, an outdoor wedding, socially distanced, masked up. Of course. Up, hot. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was a warm weekend. Full tuxedo oh. in the middle of the day is not a pleasant way to make money, <laughs> but I'll do it because it beats other things sure. that are in the heat to make money. Right. And then uh, Flat 5 had a... Um, uh, we had a virtual concert at one of the uh, listening places here in in the uh, Central Virginia area near Lynchburg, a little town called Amherst. Right, Amherst. I remember you mentioned yep. you were going to do that. How was that? Yeah, you know, it was um, it it was a great show. Uh, everybody was hitting on all cylinders. I, I came in hot from the wedding. I came in like seven minutes before we went up, and uh, so I was a bit flustered for the first few moments, but. Found found the groove, found a groove, and then found the groove for the rest of the night. That's yeah, a everybody. That's a full day of normalcy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, but and and then you know it's uh yeah it's it's it was fun. It yeah, was, it was nice nice to know that I still got the chops to pull off a day's worth of playing like that. But I I not necessarily wanting to do it in the you know first part of August in the heat. <laughs> uh, right. Right. How how are you been, man? You know, um, pretty good. Um, you know, I I would think that I've been occupying myself with various and sundry reading and writing and plinking around with the guitar and coming up with some new thoughts. And uh, that's just on top of you know my day job, which is pretty demanding. And uh, you know, I'm in a good mood though. So well, I yeah, got that, new, that I got new, no new tales to tell, as it were. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I. Um, you know, I, I part of part of what I like to do as you know, with what I do as a musician is I like to look about three or four months down the down the way and say, hey, is there a way for me to make sure I've got some something happening at that point? Mm-hmm. And one of those things kind of fell in my lap. Um, nice. I'm I'm doing a musical, which is not usually someplace I go. Although I enjoy doing them, I've done them more recently than I have took a long break from it but you know part of part of being faculty at, at the universities is you get asked to play in the pits for for the for the musicals that they do on campus oh. and done a couple of those uh up at, at sweetbriar yeah but uh i've been contacted by a, a really nice bunch of people down in the brookneal area to help them out with uh, their production of always patsy klein really yeah it's a uh, it's a uh, musical review strung together with some dialogue, and it's uh, a bunch of Patsy Cline tunes. So, and it's it's a lot, a lot of fun. So it's a it's like a I think what did they call it like a jukebox show where yeah, pretty much. But in this case, they're not going to create some novel story around it. It's pr- going to be more closely the, related to Patsy. 
Well, there is a story. It's a, it's about a, a chance meeting between a fan and her and the friendship that they started and, and documented. And, uh, that's sort of the thing. She always signs her letters, always Patsy Klein. And so, uh, this, this whirlwind friendship, you know, a two night friendship or day overnight friendship basically turns into this, what remained for the rest of, uh, Patsy's life, a friendship that she, she worked with and, you know, tried to try to grow and, and nurture. And it's, it's, it's a really cool production, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, well that, that's cool. So I know that, I know that, um, I'm going way back in time here, but I know that like in 1980, a record came out called always. And it was like, uh, like, a, not only just a republication, but I think maybe even a, a release of some unrecorded stuff. I don't recall exactly, but I know that there was a big record called always back right. in 1980. And, 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 and that kind of spurred the 88, I think it was, was the first time always Patsy Klein was, was done. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's that, that nostalgic part of the eighties, I guess that kind of happened. All right. All right. So I know you're not one to shy from controversy and I don't want to be controversial, right? but I'm going to maybe test your patience as a friend. If you'll let me. Sure. Um, not like you haven't tested my patience before. <laughs> right. So, so here <laughs> we go. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that Patsy Klein doesn't have a great voice, uh, but there seems to be a bit of a an adoration around her, some, about her as an exceptional character. And um, and we've talked about it before. You're from a different area of Virginia than I am. You're from the valleys west of Afton, and I'm from the coast. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have that ambient soundtrack of bluegrass or country as part of my childhood. I didn't really know about Patsy Klein until around the time that record came out actually and it wasn't from that record it was actually uh coal miner's daughter right where her friendship with loretta lynn was portrayed on screen right right right. and i just remember that in the 80s shortly afterward there was uh this just an explosion of interest in patsy klein there was a movie uh, with jessica lang about her in the mid 80s right Uh, i don't think that was called always i think that was um I forget Sweet the dreams, I think. Sweet dreams, yeah, yeah. Um, which was a good flick. Both, all of these are good flicks. And so, I guess what I'm saying is, there's something that must set her apart that makes her special. Um, and and I'm not saying that some of some of what I hear isn't lost on me is interesting or charming or really great. But um, all right, so I just gotta I just gotta call out for anyone who's listening. I remember you and Christian who we, you know, write and perform with, whatever, it, you know, he's from closer to that neck of the woods in the Shenandoah Valley. Right. And when you guys name check her, it's with reverence. And if I can use that word. Sure. Uh, so, I, I, th- I think that's fair enough. I think part of that is the reverence for Patsy that Christian's, Christian's parents are, are contemporaries of my parents. Okay. Uh, within within a couple of years or so, um, and if you think about it, you know, my mom and dad got married in '63. Mm-hmm. So, not only were they contemporaries, but that was their that was what they listened to. That was you know as, as strong as you and I have those connections to the songs from high school and early college that we talked about in one episode. Mm-hmm. 
my parents had that same kind of um, reverence or remember rememorative <laughs> remembrance. Yeah, I guess if if we're going to make up words uh, of of Patsy, because that's what was playing in their ear holes when they were you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty. You know, sure, that that kind of you know age group when when music is so important and, and was to to each generation and when they hit that age. So I think that that's part of it. Um, musically, uh, you know, from where from the vantage point that I had growing up, she was looked at as um, the pre-golden age of country music, the Loretta Lynn's, Porter Wagner, Dolly Parton's, that kind of, that that era, like mid-60s through the 70s where we would have grown up with them. Right, um, like an she, earlier Nashville sound, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Well, she was one of the definers of that Nashville sound, her and her producer. Mm-hmm. So that you have this, you know, a, as a musician, I hear this and I'm like, you know, nobody was doing that before her. And the fact that it was a woman a woman doing it and and doing it so successfully, I mean, you think about it, her career total the 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 impact that this woman had with an eight year career, obviously cut short by the plane crash, but she was only on the scene for eight years, right? And the first five of those were all around the Winchester, Northern Virginia area, right? So I know that in like the I think maybe the earlier mid fifties mm-hmm. that she and Jimmy Dean had a uh, they did a show in Northern Virginia. Um, yeah, there was a bunch of those, uh, early, like a lot of them were like early morning shows or lunchtime shows where they would do uh-huh. live entertainment, you know, carry over from radio live entertainment into the TV. And so somebody would, would, would technically get up in the morning, do a show at one radio station, drive three hours to get somewhere for lunch and do another radio program with somebody else and then drive somewhere else for the afternoon type thing. So she she did a lot of that early on mm-hmm. and well before go ahead bef- before she got into that Nash- nashville sound or bef- before that i guess became uh defined i just and i know from listening to um other things and it's been a while but there was some stuff before she got into a lot of that crossover sound that was almost more like that, that uh, rockabilly six, yeah well yeah i mean uh you had you know uh walking after midnight was was mm-hmm. one of our first first hits and it had it had a definite um rockabilly sound although it it would have been seen as country for because of the lack of the louder guitars and horns mm-hmm. just the way it was set up and 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 stylistically it's a little different but very 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 similar and um a lot of those were that what we would call the the that pre-runner of the Nashville sound that early definitive country sound yeah so do you think then like so you, you you've so you've said hey you know what it there is the the family uh inheritance so we've talked about that before right. about like what's your imprint you know so you, there's a bit of an imprint there um and i think what i'm hearing from you is also that there is something very cool about her style that was original and new it, it, well even there are some voices that come along, Ella Fitzgerald, you know, those kind of voices that are just, you, you can't, there, there's no comparison. Once you hear it, you know, it's them. 
And mm-hmm. we and we talk about that in a modern context. Uh, the guitar players, you know, Clapton after about two notes. You know, you know, other guitar players just based on their sound. Jazz guys identify, you know, their favorite sax player within a couple of notes based on that sound. Right. And she's one of those that if you hear her sing, there's no one that's come close to doing that the way that she did it. And and that just goes to her her natural ability to sing. And has nothing to do with the craft of the music, which was incredible, and the songwriting that she did. But it's just the instrument of her voice. So for the non-country listener and someone who's not steeped in a Nashville sound and has no musical imprint in this, um, this is where I'm going to maybe start pushing the envelope. How is this? Uh, how is this different from like Tennessee Waltz by Patti Page? And I know that was earlier. That was like the early fifties, uh, right? And it, that was definitely crossover. It was, and and popularity crossover, you know, drives a lot of things. But with with Patsy, I think it was a combination of well written, tight songs. Yeah, the right instrumentation for them. Whether she had a choice in that or not, you know, it's it's pretty much what the producers say. Yeah, let's let's throw on some steel guitar. Let's do this. Or <laughs> and yeah. and and the fact that there had yes, there had been success successful women singers, but there hadn't been anybody that captured the imagination like she did at that time. Uh huh. You know, you don't, you don't get a number one billboard country chart record. You know, she made it to number one as a woman in 1961. How, you know, that's, yeah. You know, you, there there's, and I think that might be part of, of explaining this, you know, because, we're not steeped in that history unless you're, you know, unless you're a fan or you do a little digging or, you know, you find something that interesting, you go and, and check it out is we we're at such a point now that there are so few firsts. There's not going to be a first woman to have a, a top 100 hit on billboards, pop charts. That's already been done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's not going to be somebody, I, there might be somebody that can like break a Beatles or an Elvis record for length of time or whatever, but it's already been done in such a way that like, Oh, that's cool. Somebody actually beat it, but it's not the excitement of watching it build each time and seeing it week by week grow. Uh-huh. And I think we lose track of that too. When we look at some of these artists that were the first to do it, especially right. when we're looking at, you know, the the assumption that's if you say somebody did it first in our history, it's going to be a white male. Yeah. And when you hear that this was done first by a woman, and then you tack into the fact of where she came from, in you know on the Appalachia side of Virginia, mm-hmm. and and you know Winchester is is, I guess at best a medium sized town. Right. And a lot yeah. of it, a lot Today of it, it is. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the, the, um, the, the college that's there, the Shenandoah right. University and, and conservatory. And, you know, their, their town increases by what, three times during school, something like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. it's not, it's not like a metropolitan area, although it's driving distance now to DC and, and whatnot. And, when you take all that and kind of wrap it together, it's it's a success story that it's okay. She comes from a very similar 
very, very similar background to my parents. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, okay, she did it. That means that there's no bias on, on, on the location now because somebody from it's, it, it really is a very much akin to like Dave Matthews in Charlottesville. Right. You know, yeah. that was not known for a hotbed for, for music growing up, you know, cause I, you know, you and I both kind of lived in and around Charlottesville for a while. That's right. Always yeah. been a good music scene, but nobody came from Charlottesville made it big. Right. And then Dave Matthews did. And now everybody's like, man, <laughs> he can do it. I can do it. You know? right. And yeah. and you got to look at that. That's sort of the idea with, with Patsy is she came from very humble beginnings to do some very amazing things from a location that wouldn't make it easy to do. So for a, a very small uh, starting pad out there in, um, you know, uh, in uh, the Shenandoah Valley, she's, you know, in a very short window of time and a very young person uh, got a career going um, based on nothing but her talent and her drive and her charm is what I'm hearing. Well, um, and, and um, she was, from what I, what I kind of gathered in, in some of the reading I did leading up to, 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 to this discussion, it's, um, she really didn't take gruff is what they would say back then she would she was aggressive without the 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 uh aggressiveness kind of mentality we get when when things like the well let's just say it back at the time when women were aggressive they were they were not smiled upon yeah yeah and so she was aggressive but in such a way to be disarming and and not looking to to cause a ruckus but she was also going to stand up for what she believed was right you know, so thanks for saying that because I'm realizing now when I said, um, you know, uh, it was listing, you know, her, her talent and her energy and her charm, it, what I had inside mentally of that word charm was probably not what came across. What I'm remembering from the movies and from other things that I know about her is there seemed, she seemed to have a very singular ability to come across as kind and loyal, but really hold her ground and be no nonsense. I think that's a perception that most people have of her. Uh-huh. Like, didn't she have the, um, I think she always insisted on being paid up front. I think that's something that's portrayed in the movies. No dough, no show. I yeah. I, right. I, I, I can't, I don't know about that one. Yeah. I think, but, uh, well, well so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so, you know, that speaks to uh, maybe even more than being, uh, you know, uh, socially disarming and, and capable, but also being a very uh, savvy individual. Um, street smart without growing up on the streets. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. very, she, um, she, she was, she ran her business. I mean, she had business partners, but she had the final word. And I did, do know that both on recordings and, and how she was paid. Um, uh, that's know, pretty th- exceptional for the time. It, exactly. And, and I think that's what we're missing about what makes her so special is things that we would go, well, yeah, that's sort of the way it should be, you know, right. You and I had, you know, we went, we grew up during the Madonna world and, and, (laughs) and cut from the same cloth. 
uh, right. truly in the way that they they kind of conquered their war. Now, Badaz had much longer time at it, you know, much, much more than the eight years. <laughs> right. But, you know, we, we forget that she was doing this at a time where that was, you know, there was a, a large chunk of our population that couldn't vote at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know. And, you know, it, it just kind of blows my mind, you know, what she did accomplish in that little bit of time. And it, it, it kind of, it, it falls away from us over time and we forget what a groundbreaking person she was. So to what degree do you think that unfortunate crash um, that cut her career short and her life, um, you know, and killed her at such a, you know, at such a tragically young age. Yeah. I mean, to, to what degree does that feed into, um, you know, uh, her, her living on in a, in a particular way? I mean, with that, she would have this kind of attention and reverence, uh, long after her, you know, her last recorded song. I mean, that's kind of hard to say because she and her second husband had a, um, had a, uh, they had a drinking problem. I mean, there's just no uh-huh. way, of, way, of, yeah. way of, they were, they were hard drinkers. Right. And you hear the stories of the stars of that time. And a little bit later on that, you know, we, we hold in reverence like Johnny cash and those guys. And you realize, man, they had some screwed up years. <laughs> I mean, right. Yeah. I think I shared that picture with you. You may be high, but you're not as high as Johnny cash <laughs> under a bush with a cake. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I hadn't seen it either. Yeah, Google. Yeah. If you're listening, if you're not seeing that, just Google Johnny Cash Bush cake, cake. and yeah. and, it, and it, it'll take you to this wonderful photograph. But you know, it's it's hard to say if she would have survived her own demons with that long enough, or gotten help, or just continued on like a lot of those stars did until they couldn't anymore. And and you know, you're thinking George Jones and that kind of situation. Sure. Where he, yeah. It became such an issue that his record company said, you either stop drinking or you ain't getting no more money type thing. <laughs> right. Well, um, you know, so George Jones would be, if you will, like, so there's a, there's a good idea as an example. Right. And I, I could see her life either, you know, it's hard to say if she would have survived, how she would have survived or whatnot, but it seems like stars of that era kind of got their way into that musical nobility to where mm-hmm. they could, they could, she could, she would have had a great career if she'd never wrote another song, just singing those eight years worth of stuff. Right. And, and so, I, you know, one would hope that she would have had a long, like a Loretta Lynn type of career. Sure. And that, you know, with she and Loretta Lynn having been, they were such close friends, and, right. you know, maybe, um, maybe Loretta Lynn would have continued uh, to be a good influence on her, which or, I think she was. Yeah, I think so too. But again, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. With doing that, one, one would hope that that would be the way you could see the potential for either way. <laughs> right, so. right. If there were a, a show called Always the, uh, you know, the alternate history or the alternate reality. <laughs> right. Well, you know, they do, they do talk about, um, uh, they do talk about her, her marriage and how rough it is. And it's, you know, it's out there. I mean, people knew it was, uh, it was a struggle. And I, I, this is one of the things I told you about that I, I kind of messaged talking with Christian about it when, yeah. when I found out he was such a fan. So 
Um, Patsy Cline and her husband lived in, they started out in Winchester and then they moved to Frederick, Maryland, and then they moved to a couple other places in that area. My dad and his brother used to run around with them, uh, as they would say back in the day. That meant that they would go out drinking with them. So there, right, there, yeah. there's also the, <laughs> a, a very close family connection. And, um, you know, my dad, he would always get this glassy, faraway look in his eyes when a commercial for her record would come on or there would be a clip of her on. He would just kind of, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. You're yeah. being really patient with me, you know, yeah. as, as I step on the imprint. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, um, you know, my mom, uh, to this day is still jealous, man. Some, some like that comes on with the Patsy Cline. She's like, <laughs> click, changing channels. Cause she heard the story. Jealous. Yeah. But anyway, time's got nothing to do with it. Exactly. Exactly. But even, you know, even so mom does enjoy the music and, and will tolerate it. And, but, but, you know, it, it, it's funny though, because that, that connection kind of makes it even closer for me knowing that my dad was a friend of theirs and, and they really, you know, from what I understand, had a grand time for a little oh. while before they moved to Nashville. So, um, yeah, so that's that. Yeah. Well, so you've, you know, you, you certainly, um, you, you certainly do speak on behalf of the, uh, the local folks that have, um, you know, a partiality to this. So I'm actually asking the right person, which is, <laughs> right. you know, I, you know, when I say reverence, you mean there's a lot of respect and there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, attachment. You know, there's emotion there. That's an important right. thing to you. Um, but you know, I can kind of hear as we're talking. I mean, I um, and I get I've gotten a lot out of just uh, just sort of bouncing this off of you because I can see where, as a person, she had a particular charisma, um, and I can see that um, she obviously had some savvy in, in addition to talent. I hadn't really thought of that, how short that window was and how young she was uh, until we really got into this. And and that's a, that's a huge, that's a hugely influenced, influencing catalog in a very, very short time. Yeah. And I think that, you know, also uh, there's an aspect of her style and I don't pretend that I know a lot about this, but I just kind of remember that it was a, it was a plot point in one movie I saw about her. And as and just as a as a quick call out, the reason I know so much about this is I there's never a music biopic that I'll turn off if it's on TV. I just <laughs> right. really like them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've seen my share a fair share of Patsy Cline material uh, as as presented dramatically on uh, on film, but I think I recall her refusing to wear a dress and wanting to wear pants before like a really big audience, or that was a bit of a bit of a statement that she was not going to be like just a girl standing on stage stage singing a song that she was bringing a presence with her right she knew who she was exactly and she wasn't going to fit a form she already was she already understood what she wanted to present as an image um so she had that style too right which again is is unheard of at that time because once a record company had you under contract it was whatever they said went and she still controlled how she looked how she appeared so that that was this is pretty strong too yeah yeah that um yeah honestly uh you know late 50s early 60s uh and in something as clearly uh as male uh steered as um 
you know, country music, let alone show business. Right. Um, that's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Do you, do you think that she's going to continue to show up in soundtracks and other things like that on top of the, you know, I, shows like this? You know, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think because now we're looking at, you know, third and fourth generation uh, singers, female singers that are saying, or even male singers for that matter, mm-hmm. that are saying that she's one of their influences because people will look like stars will look now will look back to like this person from the eighties and that person like crystal Gale, let's say, and right. crystal Gale will crystal Gale will say, well, Patsy Cline was one of my huge influences. So you, you know, you, you trace back in influences. It's like it, it, the big joke in, in any, you know, talking with any rock and roll musician is like, if you go back far enough, you're going to hit Robert Johnson. <laughs> right. You know, right. you just got to get to Hendrix and you're going to hit Robert Johnson. So, <laughs> right. You know, it's, and it's that same thing in country. You've got, you know, all these female singers that go, yeah, my, that is a huge influence. Not, and I can't sing like her, but I can deliver like her or I want to deliver like her with, with that honest, there was an honesty in her songs, whether it was a joyful song or heartache. So I think as long as people are are still influenced by her, we're still going to hear the stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, th- her songs are both timely and timeless. Uh, for where she was in that time period, they were, they were, I, I read some article a while back about, her and a couple other country female stars and um they called it proto feminism mm-hmm. it was like the form the first formations of this idea of i can do it as well or better than you men you know type thing yeah yeah and and so i think you know that is an influence that's not so much spoke about with her i wish it was more um but i think as long as as long as people are still looking to her uh, for, as an influence, we're still going to hear it. Yeah, I think that you, I think that you just hit on something that really gave me thought, and you didn't hit it directly. And I think it was about um, about emotion. And it it occurs to me as I'm thinking of what are arguably her two best known songs, which are "Crazy" and "Walking After Midnight." Mm-hmm. Both of those songs, particularly "Crazy," have a extremely um, smooth and yet raw emotional experience that's captured in her delivery at the same time. Right. Um, you know, no, no, I agree. I mean, they're warm enough that they invite you in, but her, the, the sadness or the, uh, and, uh, the, the melancholy inside of them are, uh, are present and, you know, even, um, and maybe that's part of it. There's something inside of which she's able to capture emotionally uh, that 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 transcends what she was even doing at the time. Right. And and I tell you, with Crazy, that was just really good song selection. Yeah. Because uh, that's a Willie Nelson composition. Stop it. No, I'm serious. Um, and you should check out his version of it because he does a he does a really stripped down version of it. It's really really good. Oh, I'm familiar with his version of it. I yeah. just thought he was covering her song. No, he's he's singing his own <laughs> damn song, and she covered him. See, I told you I had no standing for this conversation. <laughs> I just wanted to know what you thought. Right. So, but 
see, that's the thing though, because you're, you're familiar with the Willie version of it. Absolutely. And you're familiar with her version of it. And yeah. there, there is a, a, a plaintive scream coming from her without being a scream, uh, just yeah. in the power of her delivery that, you know, that makes that song. Yeah. It, you know, Willie could have had a hit with it at some point, I'm sure, but not the kind of hit that still paying paychecks to him, you know, 50 years later. Yeah. And you know what, uh, this, what's running through in my mind right now is I've heard Willie Nelson cover a Towns Van Zandt song, sadder than Towns Van Zandt. And that's saying something. Right. And I still get more emotion out of Patsy's version of that song than I do from him. Right. And, uh, um, and, and th- I think that's that moment of the perfect artist with the perfect song with the perfect arrangement because the, the, the musicians that they had, and I think it might've been the Jordanaires that did the, the background vocals, but I can't be sure of that. I know they, they worked with her at some point, okay, which was Elvis's backing vocalists and, um, you know, just top level Nashville musicians when top level Nashville was about as top level as you got. And they just, (laughs) they just did a really, really, really good song. And, you know, that's one of those that's, you know, we talked about timely and timeless. I mean, that song is going to have meaning for generations. So when you told me that you were doing this, I immediately wanted to know more and get your thoughts on it because I find her to be captivating. That in itself actually says something. Right. Uh, that there's more to this than just the mythology around her, you know, and that, you know, um, I admit she was on mixtapes that I got from friends uh, in college, you know, um, various and assorted things. She's, right. she's popular and with people that were not necessarily listening to anything close to this genre, they'd want to throw in something that was emotional or, you know, sultry or whatever. They'd pick whatever song they wanted to. Um, and I've had crazy appear on more than one mixtape, uh, as an example, uh, where I'm headed with the thought is th- there've got to be other people who are like, Oh, you're doing that, Eric. And you're like, yeah, let me tell you about it. Or who are excited about you being, uh, doing this as a, uh, you know, as, as a side gig. Right. And, and, um, you know, I do like, you know, I'm prideful about my, my upbringing musically. Um, right. You know, I I am, and it it kind of, I wouldn't say freaks people out, but, you know, doing a symphony gig and somebody says, well, what do you listen to when you're not listening to classical music? And I'm like, I listen to classical music? No, 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 no. (laughs) Um, You know, and I'll I'll throw out the, you know, well, you know, if I've got a jazz gig come up, I'll throw in some jazz. If, you know, I got going, and they go, what do you listen to for pleasure? And, you know, it's, it's sort of a guilty pleasure every once in a while is just doing the classic country stuff. And right. whether it's the nostalgia of it, you know, or uh, what what have you with that, it it just, I, I enjoy it. There's, you know, there's a breadth of it that just, um, you know, there's something fun to listen to no matter what you get into. Well, I'm glad you get to, uh, I'm glad to get to do this show and be part, part and parcel of something you love so much. Yeah, it's going to be fun. as we wrap up this episode we want to thank those that have chosen to listen let your friends know that they can find the not necessarily mad podcast in most places that you find your favorite podcast including spotify apple Podcasts, google play TuneIn, pandora and many others as well as our home at madfamworld.com 
You can find a complete list of our podcast outlets, links to things we discuss, photos and extra podcast content on our Facebook page. Search for the Not Necessarily Mad podcast there. Stop by and give us a like. Stay safe.